0: Let's open our Bibles tonight to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 14, sorry, of, of Genesis. We, we began last week a commitment to do an in-depth walk through this book of beginnings. If you weren't with us, I hope you'll go back and listen to the study. You can get it in the bookstore. You can certainly get it online in the archives at YouTube, um, because it's an important book to, to have, in your, uh, I think, in your arsenal as you begin to study God's Word. Uh, God wrote this book we mentioned last week with really only two agendas a revelation of one person and two events he wanted you to meet jesus and he wants to talk to you about your first and your sec- uh, his first and his second coming the first to die rise and save the second to rule and to reign forevermore and really that's all the bible is interested in that they can bring you to christ and keep you not only looking back but looking forward to what he has done and what he has promised to do. Old Testament's fairly easy to follow. The the books of the law are the first five books of the Bible. They are uh, God's uh, demand for a unrighteous man to be able to approach a holy God, and, and it really sets the stage for the blood that would be shed by his son eventually at Calvary. It is followed by the history books. The history books will start with the book of Joshua, They run through the book of Esther. They are interested in the past historical events. most everything there is is a looking back at what God has done. Follow that with the books of wisdom. They begin with the book of Job. They run through the song of Solomon. They are books that don't move the history forward at all. They are all written in the present tense, meaning that they address you at your point of relationship with the Lord today. They address your daily walk with God. Like I said, they are present and they are experiential. They're interested in your experiences and your relationship with God. The prophets start in the book of Isaiah, run through the end of the Bible, through the book of Malachi. They are futuristic. Most of them, they have a historical past, but a, a futuristic element as prophecy books, and they look forward to the future. So you have past, present, and future. And like I said, to t- 35, I think we told you last week, authors wrote these books that the Lord put together as his word over 16 different centuries. Kings and shepherds and prophets and fishermen and soldiers and taxmen. And God brings this all together for these two significant events, the first and the second coming of his son. Uh, Genesis is quoted more often in the Bible than any other book, over 200 times just in the New Testament, which I guess is important to us it's for good reason genesis covers 2416 years of historical data the first 11 chapters of this book are called primeval which means that they are interested in events they really are those events that 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 come through the to the flood if you will the next books from or I should say the next chapters from chapter 12 through verse 50 are usually called patriarchal, which means that they're interested not in events, but in people. And so they follow the founding fathers. And uh, I think we mentioned to you last time as well, because we're finishing chapter one tonight, that chapter one is the most uh, God-centered chapter in the Bible, if you will, where the Lord's name is mentioned 32 times in one chapter. And if you add the personal pronouns, I think the number climbs to about 43, all in 31 verses. What did we cover last week? The first 13 verses. We talked about the uh, possible age of the earth. We talked about evolution, considered it, and the weak arguments upon which it is positioned. Not the least problem for them being the lack of transitional life forms in the fossil records. Uh, we told you last, I think, week that uh, that Darwin, when he wrote his book, uh, said that he realized that without that, his theories were not going to stand, but he believed and hoped that in the future, uh, scientific data would support it. It has not, and it will not. We looked at the scientific approach or, or support for creationism and uh, believe with all of our hearts, certainly, that God created the heavens and the earth. We talked about the gap theory. If you don't know what that was, you'll have to go back and listen to last week's study and the problems that it faces if you're going to take that position. And we looked at the first three days of creation where ten times you read the declaration and God said, or God just said, let there be, and he spoke the world into existence. In the beginning, God created. The word created is the a Hebrew word bara, and it means just that, out of nothing, created it out of nothing. Everything we understand, we we assemble out of um, things that already exist. That's the word asa, to, to assemble, to create. But this is the word bara. It is applied only to the Lord. It is only something he can do. He spoke the world into existence. Uh, we learned uh, last week that the days that we read about here, the creation days, are actual 24 our days that the idea of theistic evolution where the days just go on for many millions of years and god started the ball rolling and then evolution took its course is just biblical nonsense god could have created everything that you see in a nanosecond he chose not to he took six days to create the heavens and the earth and all that you see and on the seventh day he rested On day one, we looked at last time, light and darkness were created by the Lord. It began with a night and a day, and it is certainly why the Jews today have their day start in the evening. It's interesting that light is already around, and so the earth is is rotating on its axis, uh, but there is no moon and there's no sun until day four. And it is believed by most Bible scholars, and I have no reason to doubt that, that the Lord was the light, certainly in that time of his creation as he is that unapproachable light. In day two, God created the atmosphere, the firmament. And the atmosphere was a large volume of water that surrounded the earth, a canopy, if you will. It caused a temperate climate throughout the world. It would be the same temperatures everywhere. No uh, big storms, no hurricanes, no, no, no real hot and real cold. It'll always be the same. It allowed the, the, the age of man at the time before the flood to live to be about 910 years old. And it was certainly that envelope which imploded in the the water under the earth, which sprang up, which led to the the flooding of the earth. On day three, God had the land appear in the waters, as well as the seas. And at least the word seas in, in the Bible referred to all kinds of seas, rivers and all. And the planet was given herb yielding seeds and fruit trees, after their own kind man in all of his wisdom and especially these evolutionists have never been able to disprove this (laughs) that everything comes after its kind you plant corn you get corn you plant apples you get apples it's just the way it works there can be micro changes in class there's never vertical movements from one class to another you don't start with a dog and end up with a sheep you just can't do it it doesn't work so god created mature Trees that were bearing fruit on day three. So tonight we're just going to look at verse, verse, uh, chapter, no, no, I'll get the word. The fourth, fifth, and sixth, and seventh day, uh, well, we'll leave the seventh day, six days. The Lord next week in chapter two will give us a greater microscopic look at day six of man's creation. But today we're going to just kind of tonight look at what the, the Lord gives us to consider in terms of his creation. So let's start in verse 14, where we read this, And then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons for days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser or smaller light to rule the night. He made the stars also and God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. On day one, like I said, God separated the light from the darkness, the day from the night. And though we know that certainly the earth was then in some kind of a rotational spin because that would have accounted for it. On day four, the Lord added all of the light that we see in the heavens, the stars, the galaxies, the sun, and the moon, all set by the Lord on day for in relationship to the earth because God's interested in you and in his plans of salvation. There was going to be a greater light for the day, a lesser light for the night, and the stars and all would be given for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. If you look at verse 14, we still use the stars and the heavens today. Our first calendar was lunar. It was based on the position of the moon. Today we use a solar calendar based on the relationship of the earth to the sun. Um, I don't know if you ever go look at NASA's pictures. or There's a really good website for the last many years that has put up these wonderful pictures from the Hubble. It's it's called space.com. Phenomenal stuff. Just it'll... If you ever just want to blow your mind, just look into this kind of stuff. And you'll just not, you just, I don't get it. And, and maybe that's the idea. Our, our galaxy, the Milky Way, is very thin. Well, it's thin in comparison to its width. It, width, width, it looks kind of like a, a disk almost. It is roughly 120,000 light years in diameter by 100,000 light years thick in most places And where the earth is positioned in this big galaxy is perfect to sustain life. God spun the earth, placed it in orbit around the sun, which is in its orbit through the Milky Way galaxies. And and David wrote in Psalm 19 about the heavens declaring the glory of God. And it just takes you a few minutes to, to start looking at what the Lord has made out there and before you just go, man, the Lord is, we sang, you know, how great is God. God is amazing. I'm surprised when we, we just sang that last song, you're not cheering. Come on, we have the most amazing God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Day on to day, they utter their speech. Night unto night, they give out their knowledge. There's no speech or language that their voice isn't heard. And so God established on day four, all of these things. The sun, I think, travels at about 60,000 miles an hour. Which makes quite a journey throughout the year. Um, the sun is about 93 million miles from the Earth. Can't really drive that on a weekend. The average, I think, st- I, I saw some beautiful flares from the. the they, they took great pictures of the sun the other day. These these phenomenal flares. But the average temperature on the on the surface of the of the sun is roughly 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. If we were as close as Jupiter to the sun, the Earth's average temperature would be at 860 degrees. If we were as far away from the sun as Mars is, our average temperature would be about minus 100 degrees. It just so happens that we're right where we need to be. No boiling, no deep freeze. We're going to survive. There's life. The, this tilt of the earth that we have learned is 23 and a third degrees, allows us to have seasons. Well, as you live closer to the equator, you get less seasons, but it, 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 it just so happens. <laughs> we, we know today that the rotation of the earth around the sun takes 365 days and 9 hours and 56 minutes, and I think it's 9 one, and 1 of a second, scientists, and that the exposure to the sun and the heat and the cold in both the northern and southern hemispheres make it perfect for life to exist it just so happens not so not so it also just so happens that our atmosphere is composed of 77% nitrogen and 21% oxygen and there's a little bit of argon uh, CO2 and water as well, that make breathing a pleasure most of the time. If you change those percentages by just a half a percent in every, any direction, everyone on the planet dies. It just so happened, God put us right here. It just so happens that our oceans are just the right size to produce enough rainwater for life. If our ocean were only half as Large as they are now, they would lose the ability to produce 75% of our drinking water, and life would die on the planet. If the oceans were just one-eighth larger than they are now, we'd have so much rain, the planet would drown. We couldn't handle the water. But it just so happens, we're perfect in every way, because God is at work. And he's an awesome God. The moon, of course, has no light, but it's a great light reflector. It's kind of a miracle. You know, Moses writes this by the Holy Spirit, and if you look at him from his experience standpoint, and certainly most ancient peoples believe that the Moon was far larger than the Sun, because in our perspective, it is oftentimes much closer to us, and as a result, it looks far bigger than in the sky like the harvest moon than the sun ever does and yet moses called the sun the greater or the larger and so it is the sun is 400 times in diameter in radius bigger than the moon so you could put 72 million moons in that sun it doesn't always look like that but if again if you're being led of the spirit you'd get it right and he did it's an awesome testimony of god's creative power Which I think, uh, for for me, even just taking an astronomy class in school, there was nothing that made me stand in awe of God more than to look at what's out there. (laughs) And what in the world, you know? And we're only finding out now, we've got technology now where we can look out and see things. But, you know, 200 years ago, we, we had very little understanding of all of those things. And yet it was still there, the Lord had made it. When you consider the heavens and the works of your hands, the moon and the stars that you have made, which you have ordained, David wrote, who is man that you would be mindful of him? This little speck on this little planet, in, you know, planet into one solar system. The son of man that you would visit him. You've made a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given the dominion to him for the works of your hands. You've crowned him with glory. You've put all things under his feet. The sheep and the oxen, the beasts of the fields, the birds of the air, the sheep, the the fish of the sea, those that pass through the seas. Oh, Lord, how excellent is your name? We read in Psalm 147, I think it's verse four, that the Lord um, counted the stars and gave every one of them a name. I don't know. God is so big, so amazing. Isaiah wrote of the Lord, to whom will I like or will you liken me? To whom shall you find my equal, saith the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high. See who has created these things, who brings out their host by number, who calls them by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. That's your God. It's good to be related to him, isn't it? What a great God. Light, we learned, have learned, it travels at 186,000 miles per second. If you were to hop on it, if you could survive it, you could circumvent the Earth seven and a half times in one second. In one and a half seconds, you could be at the moon. Two minutes, eight seconds, you could show up at Venus. Four minutes from now, you'd be in Mercury. Seven minutes from now, you'd be on the sun. Four hours from now, you'd land on Pluto. Four and a half hours from now, you'd get to our nearest star system, Alpha Centauri. A hundred thousand years, if you kept riding, you'd get to the end of the Milky Way galaxy in which the Earth was planted. And then according to scientists and and their research and the pictures they've taken, they estimate that there might be 100 billion more galaxies out there. It's just mind-blowing. But... What do you read about all that? You don't. The Lord could have read in Bible number two, just about the stars. But he's not interested in that. He's interested that you know he's glorious and, and powerful, but he's just interested in you. So the, we, we don't get a lot about, you know, that all about information. We just get a lot about that he puts you at the center of his universe. That's where you live. He's interested in you. His thoughts are always for you continually. He never forgets who you are. And yet he's so glorious and so amazing and so just so large and so capable. We read in verse 16, he made the stars also. I was reading this week a a comment by a, a researcher at NASA who, you know, I don't know how they do it, but they estimated there were between 200 and 400 billion stars just in the Milky Way galaxy, the galaxy in which we live, that only 8,000 of them are visible and that only about 2,500 are ever visible at one time. He made everything, and that says, oh, and he made the stars too. John Phillips, commenting on this, wrote something that I wrote down in my Bible, and I'll read it to you. He, He wrote this. Look at the brevity by which God records the putting forth of the stars of the heaven. Five words in English, Fifty chapters are dedicated in the Bible to the construction and significance of the tabernacle, a temporary place of worship, because God's interested in redemption, more interested in souls than stars and people than planets. But wouldn't you like to know? And yet God is—that's God just wants you to say, oh, "Look what I've done!" today, And by the way, you should follow me, and I'm on your side. It's the perfect—the uh, perspective of the Bible, if you will. I think if man had written this book, I I think we have written chapters and pages and, and libraries about astronomy and galaxies, and probably very little about sin and salvation. But that's not what the Lord requires. He wants to bring life. One day, he's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth. You think this is glorious, just wait. This is a prototype, right? But one day, This new one's going to put this one to shame, but it's only going to be inhabited by those who have been saved by the blood of the Lamb. So that's his interest, the first and the second coming of his son. So the evening and the morning, verse 19, were the fourth day. And notice it was the Lord, that he just, verse 18, saw that it was good. And I said to you last time, he just gave himself a high five every time he did something. Yeah, it's good. In fact, we get to man, he's going to read very good. Kind of picks it up a notch. Two high fives. Verse 20. And then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures. Let birds fly over the earth and across the face of the firmament of the heavens. And so God created great sea creatures and every living thing that moves, which was, uh, which was with which the waters abounded according to their kind and every winged bird according to its kind God saw that it was good. And he blessed them and said, now go be fruitful and multiply and fill the oceans or the waters in the seas and let the birds m- multiply upon the earth. And so the evening and the morning were the fifth day. Fish and fowl as the seas below and the skies above became filled with God's creation according, don't miss it, to its kind. According to its kind. You know, it's fish and fowl have lots in common. Maybe you haven't thought much about that. They, they both have really streamlined kind of forms that allow them to move very quickly through their native habitat. They are both covered with either shingles like layers of protection, either fins or feathers. They both have hollow, very light bones. They both lay eggs. They both have migratory instincts and God made them all really on the fourth day, on, uh, on the fifth day, on a day, I should say. Water is kind of the, the seat of life. There is no bay or creek on the planet unless it's been poisoned that isn't teeming with life. If you were to take one drop from a um, ditch, you could find 500 million microscopic creatures, that were so small that if you dropped a, a, a water on them, or just a drop of water, it would be like somebody jumping the Atlantic Ocean on you, as far as uh, size comparison. The heavens were made in all of the glory of this, this huge expanse, and then now God begins to work in these things that are, are infinitesimally, in many cases, small. Great and small alike is God's work. He loves diversity. You serve a God that has endless amounts of creativity. He made the whales and the squid and the octopus and the eel. Before I had my stroke, we would dive once in a while, went out and dove in in several different places across the the world. Um, Amazing things, what you can see with your eyes. Things that, you you know, you, you dive with a little trepidation because you're always worried about a shark. It's kind of their habitat, not yours. And, uh, I had the privilege of, of, I went and dove in Kauai at a place called Tunnels where, where there are lots of tunnels that come up off the, off the uh, ocean floor. And, and some of these tunnels are big enough like the pulpit where at 50 feet you can swim down through to about 90 feet and come into these great chambers. So I thought, well, that would be good to swim down there. And then I got stuck upside down halfway down But one of our friends grabbed my legs. It was fine. But I ran into the biggest octopus I've ever seen in my my life. He could have wrapped me up and eaten me for breakfast. So I got out of there real quick. I thought, the Lord, you know, he made these. It was so cool to just, Lord, you made this. Why? I have no idea. It's an ugly looking thing. But it's phenomenal. If you've ever gone and snorkeling in Hanama Bay or in Maui or in Tahiti or wherever it might be, there are were, there were certainly creatures in the, in the deep, in the waters, that now, for the first time, you know, those that dive in, in submarines are, are seeing for the first time, they don't come up above 600, 800 feet, and they live there forever. And until we were able to get down there, we didn't know they existed, and, and yet the Lord put them there. It's kind of like a surprise waiting for you, you know? The Lord is amazing. He's amazing. Like the stars, we are just now seeing with technology what God has put together and what God has put in store. You know, every one of us has the same basic components, right? We have eyes and ears and nose and cheeks, and maybe some of you have hair. (laughs) Yet look at the variety that the Lord puts together. Every snowflake is different, endless species of birds and and, and fish. And... and, and the repetitive nature of, of God's creation after they're He created an ability for these to diversify without escaping their division, if you will. Um, they're, like I said, no movement from one kind to another, unless a salmon is eaten by a bald eagle. That's moving from one kind to another. <laughs> the great whales, you know, they migrate across vast oceans. We were in Kauai about 10 years ago on the beach in Poipu. I think it might have been with our church group, but maybe it was not. Um, When we were able to see from the shores hundreds of whales, they had gotten so close that everybody was running to target for binoculars. They were phenomenal, breaching out of the water and all, and yet they go the same route every year, um, instinctively following the same path, salmon, return to the northwest coast and instinctively spawn every year before they die. But they spawn where they were born, unable to explain in terms of evolution, but easy to explain when you read, for, for example, verse 21, the genius of the God that we love. He's an amazing God, is he not? So God created these great sea creatures and all. He created wind-winged birds. I've always questioned why he'd made some of these, these little tiny bugs. We were in St. Thomas years ago. Have you ever heard of those no see bugs? So no bugs. They're they're so small that when you walk on the uh, sand, at least in the Bahamas, you don't see them. But they bite you, and it rots into your body three days later. So you're feeling fine until three days later you get up and you look at yourself and you go, oh my gosh. It's like you have the measles and you can't stop scratching. I don't know why the Lord made that bug. I don't know what meeting that was in, but it was, oh man. But even these little pesky flies and all, they can do what I can only only dream of doing. They can fly. Wouldn't you like to fly? I'm thinking if we go to heaven, we're going to get to fly. I hope I can fly. I like to fly. I can barely get this body off the ground, so flying's going to be awesome. (laughs) I can't wait to see how that's going to work. You know, they dart and they hover. These hummingbirds outside the office window here. One of my favorite stories that Pastor Chuck used to tell to us, and we always loved it. But he he told it with such love because he had he'd gone to spy out these bird migrations. But he he always told the story of the golden plover, which comes from Hawaii and they leave every spring and early summer, and they fly 2,000 miles across the oceans to the Aleutian Islands in Alaska. And they mate there during those times, and they lay their eggs, but when winter comes, the parents return to Hawaii. They do so after they gorge themselves with food. They're leaving on a 2,000-mile trip without a compass, no suitcase, adjusting for the winds, which can be surveyor. They, they always fly in groups to eliminate drag, and they make the trip doable, and they're able to do this every year. And you might say to yourself, that's no big deal, they've been there before. All right, you try it. It's kind of a foolish argument when you've unless you've never gotten lost. But to make matters more difficult, they leave their young in the Aleutian Islands for three months after they leave because they're not old enough to fly. But three months later, old enough to fly, they fill themselves up with food, and they set off for a place they've never been to and end up on the same island their parents are at. And it is just amazing never having been there. So when you use the words bird brain, don't... (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes bird brains are pretty amazing. But certainly God has created the most amazing animals. The golden plover of Hawaii. You can go look it up. You can go Google it. He sent them, verse 22, to go out and to multiply and to fill the earth and to be fruitful, to fill the seas, to fill the skies, and they have obeyed the Lord to this day. God saw that it was good. High five. Fifth day of creation, and it certainly was. Verse 24, And then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creatures according to their kind. The cattle, the creeping things, the beasts of the earth according to their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to its kind, the cattle according to its kind, and everything that creeps upon the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. The the final creation of God before man would be created was, and given dominion over all of these were the the beasts of the fields and the creeping things upon the earth. Again, I wish I would have been consulted about the creeping things upon the earth. <laughs> my neighbor was outside about 11 o'clock last night, no, maybe 10 o'clock last night. He's standing at the mailbox. I said, "What are you doing?" He said, "There's a spire in here, big enough to take my arm off." And he was spraying, he had a light, you know, and it's 10 o'clock. We'll just go inside, get in, in the morning. And I thought, why do we have those bugs and those snakes? I could live without all of those things. God knew that we needed them. So on the sixth day, just prior to the creation of man, God makes his final preparation for the earth as man's domain by creating the vertebrates and the creeping things. In fact, Moses places them in three categories. Classification: One of them is called the the cattle. The other is called creeping things. And then the third word is the word beasts of the field. The word cattle is usually used in the Bible for four-legged or four-footed. Maybe we call call it domestic animals. The word creeping thing is the word for swarming or for moving. The word beast is usually the Hebrew word for wild animals. So there are certain classifications. Uh, Scientists over the years have have classified uh, lots of different species of animals. I think there were 800,000 insects they've been able to identify. There are at least 100 types of beetles. We were in Costa Rica, I don't know, 10 or 15 years ago. And we're driving in a bus. And the bus driver in the middle of this jungle just stops. And we thought, what in the world is he doing? But... He said, look, a Hercules beetle. Great, let's just run over it. Come on, it's a beetle. It's about this big, and it had a hook on the top like you could grab it with your hand. It had a lot of little feet, and so he picked it up. He was going to move it out of the way, and he said to us as we got out to take pictures of it, you want me to put this on your shoulder? I said, I don't think in, in, in my life that's going to happen. He said, it doesn't bite. I said, great, put it on your shoulder. So he did, and while he's talking to us, he starts to bleed in this white shirt. And I I said, you're bleeding. He goes, oh, they have strong little feet. Run it it over. (laughs) The Hercules beetle. There are some 30,000 kinds of fish in a fish book, 9,000 kinds of different birds, 6,000 kinds of reptiles, 3,000 of them are amphibious, 5,000 thousand kinds of mammals. And you just want to go, yay, Lord, you're amazing. This is the God that I serve. So if you're worried about paying the rent next month, oh, Lord, I hope you can help me out. Oh, I think he can help you out. (laughs) Or Lord, I'm a little afraid or I need a job. This God can help you out. He made everything you see, but he just said, I think I'll speak it into existence today. If this first chapter of Genesis was a psalm, You would like to see a lot of those selah. Selah is a word in the Psalms that literally means, uh, what do you think about that? Stop and think about this before you go on. So if you read that word selah when you read the Psalm, there should be a bunch of them in here. Just to stop you to start thinking about what you're reading. God, again, after their kind, it is God's pleasure in his creation. He sees that it is good. Nothing here needs to be changed. Notice that all of the creeps were made on day six. I'll let you do with that what you want. <laughs> the, 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 the dinosaurs were also made on the sixth day. There is certainly plenty of evidence for them. There is a great dispute amongst creationists on whether they survived the flood. If you go to the ark where we took a group a month or two ago, there, there are several dinosaurs in the ark. If you don't agree with that or believe in that, certainly you're gonna go, what are they doing here? They should have drowned. It doesn't really matter to me. What what should matter to you is that they lived with at the same time as man did. In other words, they occupied the same space. Rather than what these natural histories museums will tell you that long after you know the dinosaurs were extinct for millions of years, man showed up. That's nonsense. And it's certainly not biblical. So having described man's domain, Moses now brings us in verse 26 to God's creation of man, who will be given dominion, authority over all of the earth and everything that has preceded him. So we read in verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created him, male and female. Gosh, they should read the Bible. He created them. Notice that the Holy Spirit does not say that man was created in the image of the beasts that preceded him, but he is now the only one of God's creation that was created in the image of God. His nature, man's personality with his moral compass and his ability to discern spiritually puts him in a category from all else that God has made. In fact, the mention of his created body in which he lives is relegated to one verse in chapter 2, verse 7. That's really all. Here, here's your house. And basically that's how the Lord deals with it. Man physically alone walks upright. Mentally, he alone is able to communicate in a sophisticated pattern. Spiritually, he alone has the capacity to know the mind and the will of God by the Spirit. Notice what we read here, that you read the terms us and our before God returns to the singular his. Throughout the Bible, and this is the first place you will read about it, the Trinity, which is not a biblical word, but it is a good description, sometimes called the triunity of character of God, Father and Son of the Holy Spirit, is already evidenced. The word El in, in, in Hebrew is the word for God in a singular, uh, singular way. Elah is dual. Elohim is more than two. So God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made us and he made us male and female, and he made us in his image, only one God existing in three persons. I say, well, I don't get that. Well, good for you. Nobody else does either. But we believe it because the Bible says so, and, and, and there's divinity and, and, and attributes and characteristic of God that only God has ascribed to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. And as you read, remember we said the Bible is, 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 is revelatory in the sense that it is progressively You you learn more about the Lord as you read from beginning to end. God is triune. He is existing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Man is triune as well. In an inferior sense, you you live in a body, you have a soul, and you are a spirit. That makes you three in one, if you will. When... We are made in God's image. It is not a reference to physical simil- uh, similarities with God. In fact, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I got something there and I'll get rid of it in a minute. Um, the Bible says God's a spirit, that no man has seen him at any time and God deliberately hides his form, his, his, his appearance, whatever that is, from man. In fact, he would, I think, re- re- prefer to be in your mind shapeless and void or or formless if you will or or that you look to Jesus who is the physical manifestation of the Lord in the Bible God appears in many forms he's a bush he's a cloud he's fire he's a theophany theophany is a word that literally means pre-incarnate appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament he is an afterglow but no real form to copy, for I think the Lord knows that if we could copy him, it wouldn't be long before we'd have statues of him everywhere. It's just the man, way man does it. You know, it's just the way man goes. To see him, in fact, the, you know, the, to see him is to die. That's what Moses was told. The woman at the well there in John chapter 4 said, I know that God is a spirit, and if you worship him, you have to worship him in spirit and in truth. So there are many things that God hides from us, but he gives to us his nature, his character. We are created uh, in his image, if you will. Um, The very first commandment that the Lord will give man in Exodus chapter 20 is, uh, I'm the Lord God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no gods before me and you shall not make any images of me. Well, that's hard to do if you don't know what it looks like. And you remember, it was Moses who said, Lord, could you show me who you are? And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll put my hands over your eyes and I'll go by and you can see my afterglow, my afterburners, where I used to be, where I no longer am. So when we read God made us in his image, it's not a physical image, but it is according to the nature and to the character, if you will, of God. The likeness of God is seen is clearly seen in the life of Jesus, who lived not by his personal appearance, which very few people, by the way, took notice of until he was beaten beyond recognition where Isaiah was able to write, you know, uh, I didn't hide my face from their spitting and from their shame and my back from them striking me or my cheeks from those who plucked out my beard. And then he goes up in Isaiah 53 and says, he's beaten so badly he couldn't even be recognized as a man. That's the only physical appearances that you're drawn to with Jesus. But other than that, he seemed to just melt into the crowd. Because God wants you to know him by faith. We read of God hearing and we presume he has ears like us or that he has eyes to see. But does he really need them? I don't know. Whenever you read about God speaking or touching or hearing, at least uh, not of Jesus, of course, in his physical sense, but the hand of God or the arm of the Lord. They are what we would call anthropomorphisms. It means that we ascribe to the Lord uh, things that man would understand. We communicate God's behavior in terms that we can, can come close to. But there are times when you don't do that. I mean, is, is, what is it? Psalm 91 verse 4 says that God will cover you with his feathers, you ever, is your God, when you close your eyes, do you see a God with feathers? And he will hide you under his wings. And he will be your shield and your buckler. There's, you know, those, these are anthropomorphic statements in the sense that they, they they communicate the relationship God wants to have with you. But but in, in the spiritual sense, I don't know what God looks like. I just know one day I'm going to see him as he is. The sheep attribute in the scriptures of God is love. And in that sense, you have been given by the Lord because you're made in his image. What the animal kingdom does not possess, the ability and the capability to love. It involves emotion and and, and knowledge and will that set you apart from all of God's creation. I can know the glory of loving and being loved. God desires to fill me with his love so that the world may know that I know him. He gives to you as his creation, his, his, his masterpiece, that, that awareness and that capability. He also gives to you, because you are made in God's image, the ability to self-determination. What that means is you have the, you have the, the gift from the Lord to de- to determine your own way or your own destiny. Again, emotions and will, are involved. It is valid. Self-determination is only valid if you have a choice. If you say, I'm going to 31 flavors, but all they have is vanilla, that's no choice. You're just going to have to eat the vanilla. The tree in the midst of the garden, where we will get to here in a couple of chapters, provided the choice. And it also provided the consequence that were well laid out ahead of time. Not only am I given the power by the Lord to choose, I am also also able to expect from God that he will respect the choice I make. He won't force me to go to heaven. He won't force me to be saved. He won't push me down the aisle to open my heart to him. Oh, he'll try to influence you because he loves you. But he doesn't remove that self-determination issue, else you couldn't have any uh, accountability or or responsibility to the Lord for the choices you make. So he'll do everything he can short of, of, of twisting your arm to let you know that he loves you. I think it was J. Vernon McGee that said, to walk away from Jesus, you have to step over his dead body at the cross every day for the rest of your life. You do have to kind of reject everything you know to walk away. But love and self-determination go together, for true love is a free choice that cannot be coerced. So you can come to the Lord, or you can walk away from the Lord. God is holy, and so he, we were created holy. In order to have fellowship with him, we had to be holy. But sin, which will enter soon enough, required a way of us then being able to somehow see our, the gap between us and God bridged. And we can't have fellowship with the Holy God if we're unholy. God's a spirit, so are you. You live in a body. The Bible calls it a tent. It's one day going to be torn down. If you, if you look at yourself in the mirror tonight, you'll see it's falling apart already. Doesn't last very long. Sprouts holes after a while. I possess a consciousness. It's either a body consciousness before I got saved or a spiritual consciousness when God moves in and opens my eyes to see so I can have spiritual things spiritually understood. If I've been born again and God is ruling my life, but my, my body, soul, and spirit are touched by the Lord when I'm saved. And so when sin became an issue, the body became the, the, the governing force. It was a body and a soul and the spirit was just dead. It used to be spirit, soul, and body. Right? I belonged to the Lord, I had fellowship with him, and then the sin came, and this whole thing reversed. When I'm saved, though, he straightens those things out. We are told in in Revelation 4.11 that you were created, and I was created for God's good pleasure, for his fellowship. In other words, the Lord made you at the end of this long creative process because he wanted to share what all he had with you, his creation. To refuse his love and his mercy... M- revealed most clearly at Calvary is to, re- is almost to decide to live a meaningless existence for which you were not created. God didn't make you for that. He made you to have pleasure with Him. You do your best when you're used for what you're made for. I must receive His love for it to be meaningful, and I must follow Him by choice for it to be sure. He'll provide the ability, He'll provide the willingness if I will just confess my sins to him. So I'm made in his image. I have the capacity to love. I have the capacity to choose. I have the capacity to understand the consequences. And then I have to resolve this issue between Jesus and I before this body runs out and I move to eternal destinations. And if I'm to have an eternity with him, I'm going to have to Receive from him the one thing that the Bible is written for, the coming of his son to save you so that you might live with him forever. God deliberately, verse 27, made us male and female. By the way, male and female are not the same. I never thought I'd have to say that from a pulpit. They're different. They're just different. I still identify as a man. And it's interesting that as you watch through the Bible, God's creation, male and female, he gives to males and females different strengths, weaknesses. They are designed for different tasks and for different roles. They need each other, and they'll do their best work when they find each other. Certainly complementary in a marriage where, where two become one. Well... We live in a weird world. Verse 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Remember, He had said that to the animals too, but now to man. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields fruit, uh, seed, which is upon the uh, face of the earth, and every tree which will yield fruit, uh, whose fruit yields seed, sorry, to you it shall be for food. And also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, to everything that creeps upon the earth in which there is life. I've given each, uh, every green herb for food, and it was so, and God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, notice, Double high-five, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So the, the last thing the Lord says to man, and we're going to get, like I said, into the weeds next week because he wants us to know more about who he created and why, um, was that they should go forward and multiply and rule the very earth that God has created. Originally, verse 29, God intended man to be a vegetarian and the animals as well. Later on, God would give us approval after the flood to eat meat. Genesis chapter 9 verses 1 through 4. So you vegetarians, chapter 9 verses 1 through 4. (laughs) And hey, if you don't eat meat, it's okay with me. Just bring it over to my house there are some rules that will come along with eating meat that have to do with blood and life and, and, and eventually the Lord would say to, to the Jews, to his people these kind of meats probably not good for you to eat and so set them aside so that the, the diseases in Egypt won't be found upon you but, but in the big picture it was, it was vegetarian to the flood and then it was meat eating as God intended it to be, no I have no idea, um, just don't send me any letters it was just a joke especially if you're watching online. God was given a posterity, or or man, I should say, was given a posterity, verse 28. He was given a position, and he was given a possession of the earth around him to a joy from God's hands, and it was very good. Light and atmosphere and vegetables and plants and animals and man placed in the garden, very good. Very good. Well, next week, we will look at some of the specifics, especially in terms of man and his life upon the earth. Uh, next week will be our third study is in the beginning, so kind of three portions. And we will next week be given a new name for God. Up to now, you've learned the word Elohim. Elohim means Lord of all creation or, or Lord over all, if you will. But next week, we're going to learn the word Yahweh or Jehovah. However, there aren't any J words like that in, 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 uh, in Hebrew. So most believe it is Yahweh. It doesn't matter to me. It's a name that literally means uh, God says, I'm the becoming one. I, I become all that you need. Everything you need, I've got an answer for. So we get to meet the Lord of all and, and the creator of all in the first chapter. And, and, um, and then we get to meet the God who becomes all that you need in chapter 2. He makes us, and then he provides for us all that we need. So read ahead chapter 2 next week. Lord, be willing. And uh, I hope you'll leave tonight singing God's praises. He's awesome. He can handle everything we lay before him. Amen? All right. Father, we thank you tonight for being such an awesome God. We we can't help but just read these verses and just stand in awe. We look at the, the universe. We look up into the skies. We we dive down into the ocean and all we see is your hand at work. Amazing. Even though sin has touched so much, has destroyed so much, and needs to be redeemed, yet we, your glory is still out there screaming out loud to anyone that will hear. A beautiful sunset, the, the birds flying across the waters. There's a, there's a creator behind the order. There's a creator behind the creation. It didn't just happen happen. We didn't just luck into being here in the middle of the galaxy where life can be had and water can be found and sunshine can make us warm and, and air can be breathed and nowhere else can they find these things because God you've put us here. It is your marvelous work and it just it's amazing God. If tonight you don't know the God of the Bible you should know that the God of the Bible knows you very well. And because he loves you, he will take us, as we read through the Bible, to his son, the one that he will send to save your life from the sins that you have committed. The the judgment of a holy God is the wages of sin is death. But God doesn't want you to die and be separated from him into hell. He made you to share all that he had with you. He made you so that you could be his great pleasure. He could... Just love you, and bless you, and teach you of his goodness. If you don't know the Lord tonight, his invitation to you is still the same. Come to my son, admit your your, your, your need for a a savior to forgive your sins. You've violated God's holiness. You've gone your own way. You've, You've done it yourself. You set him aside. But God loves you, so he sent his son. And the wages of sin would now be placed on his son. He didn't sin. He's God in the flesh. But you did. So he takes your sins and he takes your punishment. He takes your place. He stands where you should be standing. And then he embraces you and brings you into the presence of his father. Tonight you can be saved. You can be born of the spirit. Either here in the sanctuary, come over and talk to one of the pastors or you watching online. Follow those, uh, those links there in the description box. Or if you want, just... Write a little note there in the discussion page and someone here from the church will answer you tonight. Do and, and act upon God's goodness. He's all-powerful. You're never going to win with him. You're going you're to submit to him because he loves you so. He's put on display who he is so that you might know his great love. And then he invites you to come and, and allow him to give you life. Tonight, come and let him give you life. And you'll get to know this awesome and unbelievable God personally, as he begins to teach you his ways. You'll never be sorry you did. Well, thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our podcast. You can visit us on the web at MorningstarCC.org and on our YouTube channel at MorningstarCC. Again, that's at MorningstarCC. If you'd like to support this podcast, please look us up at patreon.com slash MorningstarCC. Again, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot slash MorningstarCC.